Hello and welcome to Queer as Fact. My name is Eli. I'm Jason. I'm Alice. I'm Irene. And today we're talking about Gilbert Baker and his invention of the rainbow pride flag. Before we get started, we have some content warnings for this episode. There are brief mentions of periotypical homophobia existing, as well as brief mentions of the Nazis and concentration camps. All of these are incredibly brief. This is probably as close to a content warning-free episode that we'll have. So, yay. Yay! We hope that you all had a wonderful first week of Pride. This episode is a little short bonus episode that we're bringing out for Pride Month this year. Also, this is the first time that the four of us have all been all together, apart from for an announcement episode. Not in life, just in podcasts. Yeah, just in the podcast. <laughs> yeah, we've never met before. We've never met. Um... But that's nice. That's exciting. Yeah. yeah we yeah. just also happened to be in the same place at the same yeah. time. <laughs> yeah. We just recorded uh, the announcement episode you heard last month and we were feeling... Feeling like we should keep going. Hot. Keep yeah. the momentum <laughs> up. Yeah. So, so let's talk about we'll gay have, stuff. Hopefully we'll have a lot of energy. Yeah, for sure. Gilbert Baker was born on the 2nd of June in 1951 in small town Kansas. He's born in Pride Month. He is born in Pride Month. The flag is also born in Pride Month. It just all fits. It does. It is the gayest month. <laughs> I need a corkboard and some registering. <laughs> Illuminati confirmed. After graduating high school, he went to college for a year before he was drafted into the Vietnam War at the age of 19. He served for two years in San Francisco as a medic and then as a nurse before being discharged. He describes his experiences both in school and in the military as horrible. He was very aware from a young age that he was gay and this wasn't something that he could hide from anyone else. And so this resulted in him being quite an outcast, but he was also quite socially outgoing and played this role of the sort of class clown, like life of the party type figure, basically as a survival mechanism. Mm. Once discharged from the army, he stayed in San Francisco uh, because it's gay. (laughs) (laughs) Reasonable. An established fact. Yes. By now it's the early 1970s and San Francisco is... Extra gay. Extra gay. It's a very intoxicating time to be in San Francisco. We're just coming off the summer of love. As Gilbert mentioned in interviews, I uh, read with him. In his interviews talking about this time, Gilbert returns again and again to the feeling of revitalization and renewal of individual and collective identities in San Francisco at this time. So people were coming to San Francisco because they were gay, as established. (laughs) From small-town America, like Gilbert did, in order to reinvent themselves. But there was also this feeling that the movement as a whole was being reinvented. As we discussed in the Stonewall episode, although queer activism and queer community didn't start with Stonewall, a lot of people nevertheless felt that it was a turning point for the community and that there were a lot of people who were nearly out and nearly standing up for themselves in new ways. So there were a lot of gay pride events blossoming and protests were becoming more common. It was also still a pre-AIDS era and there was a lot of exploration of sexuality and drugs. So it was a time to be alive. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. I was just in the process of thinking, living in a pre-AIDS era just seems really weird. Yes. Mm. Like, I don't know how to express that better. That just seems like such a different queer experience, I guess. Yeah. A common symbol of the gay movement at the time was the pink triangle, which Nazis had used to mark out queer people in concentration camps. Although it had been reclaimed by the community, there was still a lot of unease with it because obviously it's a quite politically loaded symbol. It's Mm. also at that time, like relatively recent as a, like you're talking about the seventies, I guess. In my experience sort of reading about, um, 
sort of like gay men's experience with uh, like Nazi symbolism and things like that in the 70s. It's still like it, it feels fresher than for us, but there does still seem to be, at least for some men, a lot of distance between them and that time. Okay. I, I've seen men from the 70s kind of be like, that was so long ago, aren't we over that? And things like that. Yeah, okay. Uh, like, I think you're right, but I also think that we shouldn't necessarily overestimate its immediacy. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah I mean, I guess, you know, if you're in your early to mid-20s mm. in this time, you were born post-World War Two. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, and I think for a lot of people as well, um, thinking more about, like, reading I've done a punk experience as opposed to queer experiences that it was very much seen as something that happened to like the youth of this time's parents generation and I, I don't know I feel like people just kind of have like a limited amount of immediacy they have to stuff that they perceive as that happened to my parents. Yeah I was actually mm. reading something not super related on this topic about how people react to and interact with trauma that's happened to their parents compared mm. to trauma that's happened to their grandparents. Mm-hmm. And there's this interesting thing where sometimes, like, the mental health effects on the grandchildren are more significant than on the children. Okay. Yeah. Which, I don't mm-hmm. know, maybe that's relevant there. Maybe. I don't know. It's weird to, like, obviously, like, the men we're talking about are gay and gay men were victims of the Holocaust. But, like, it's super weird for me to even just think about, like, your average American as being, like, a, a victim of World War Two in terms of having like trauma passed on from their parents and whatnot because I'm used to coming from a position of like more directly having an intergenerational trauma surrounding the Holocaust and thinking of like mainstream society as being completely unable to comprehend that. Mm. Anyway, Gilbert himself said in an oral history interview that it was put on us by the Nazis and it really did function as a symbol for our movement and our liberation, but it wasn't from us. And so the need for reinvention that the community as a whole was feeling at that time extended to this symbol which brings us to what Gilbert is best known for, which is making the rainbow flag. For his whole life, Gilbert had done art in various forms as a kind of therapy for himself, describing it as, quote, my escape and my high and my passion. That sounds wholesome. He was really into fashion and sewing, and so he got involved with the drag community in San Francisco, sometimes performing on stage, but mostly working backstage, making costumes and things like that. And he very much understood this to be his activism. He used his sewing skills more directly in activism as well, however, sewing banners and things like that for pride marches. So he says, quote, people would call me up. Harvey Milk, my good friend, would call me up saying, oh, we're having a march tomorrow. I need a banner. And I'd pull out rags and make gay rights now and purple LeMay May or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I like that because like, we often talk about people who are at protests and what they're doing, but we don't often talk about people who are like in the background sewing the banners for protests. Yeah. I think a lot of the time we sort of assume that they're the same people, mm, mm. that they're like preparing for the protest, you know, they go mm. home and paint their banners and then bring them out. Yeah, and a lot yeah. of the time that's probably yeah. true. That's yeah, but I, but I guess there is a bit of a like, you know, you tend to have these big charismatic leaders yeah. for protests, mm. right? And they're probably not the people who are staying up until 4am sewing up the banner. I believe Harvey Milk would stay up till 4am sewing I mean, banner. yeah, like probably sometimes they are, but in other cases there's a whole team of people behind them yeah yeah supporting that as the person who did the research for the harvey milk episode which you can check out wherever you listen to our podcast um i have no evidence that harvey milk knew how to sew and in fact this seems to suggest that he did not know how to sew (laughs) (laughs) true 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 
1978, Harvey Milk called Gilbert up and said, hey, can you make a symbol for the movement, some kind of new symbol to be displayed in this year's Pride celebrations? What an intense responsibility to be given. Like, someone just phones you and he's like, we need you to create a symbol for, like, the gay rights movement. That's a big thing to be just, like, called up by someone. Like, hey, can you just do this? Let's do it Like, it's your afternoon off. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this is functionally what is asked of the marketing industry in, like, 1,200 different contexts every year. Like, obviously, not necessarily as serious as this. Yeah. But it, it is something that happens. And I guess, you know... From his perspective, he might not have necessarily, like, I don't know, you may be about to tell us this, um, but he maybe wasn't necessarily like, oh, yeah, this is going to be the symbol for the next, you know, half century. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I don't actually know what Gilbert was thinking at this time. Yeah. I haven't seen him say. Hmm. But, you know, a symbol for one year's Pride celebrations, I feel, is probably, you know, there's some pressure on that, but I wouldn't be, if I was in that position, thinking, oh, God, this is going to be, like... I have to invent the rainbow flag. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) I guess it may not have seemed as weighty at that end as it does from our end Mm -hmm. of the intervening 50 years. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, when you can't like reverse engineer history like that and be like, oh, wow, this is such an important thing at this moment. Yeah. I mean, we know that there are a bunch of other pride flags and like symbols and so forth that never took off. Mm, yeah. So he didn't yeah. know whether he'd be one of those. Yeah. Mm. Harvey Milk was then serving on the board of supervisors, uh, and in that role, he was the first openly gay elected official in California and one of the first in the United States. So Gilbert had begun to notice flags in a new way in 1976, which was the bicentennial of the United States. The American flag was plastered absolutely everywhere, as you can imagine, at that time. And they haven't ever taken it down. (laughs) Yeah, I was about to say, I feel like, you know, in a modern context, that's just... America. Yeah, Americans yeah. are so into I don't know. Maybe to was... Gilbert, it had increased. Oh, yeah. I don't know I believe, if it dropped yeah. off a bit, and now we just cannot imagine the sheer amount of flags there were in 1976. <laughs> <laughs> but I... to Gilbert, there were a lot of flags. Okay. Okay. And so because the American flag was literally everywhere, Gilbert began to reflect on the power of a flag as a symbol, as, like, instantly understood unifying mark of peoplehood basically but also as something that proclaims power you may discuss america now if you wish (laughs) (laughs) i don't think we have time no i mean yeah that's not a uniquely american thing no yeah he settled on the rainbow because it was beautiful because its many colors symbolized diversity and because it was an image that came from nature and queerness is fundamentally natural oh that's nice i didn't know that that's yeah. a good sort of rationale. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I'm very curious to see his like um sketchbook of ideas that he scrapped, but that may be lost to time. Yeah, I don't know. He would also later assign each of the original eight colours of the first flags with an individual meaning, which were as follows pink for sexuality, red for life, orange for healing, yellow for the sun, green for nature, turquoise for magic, blue for peace, and purple for spirit. I always wondered if those actually came from Gilbert Bay because I've heard those meanings around a lot and I was always like, where did these come from? They're so esoteric, but... They come from Gilbert Bay. Good to know came up with them. Uh, like, apparently, like, okay. not until a bit after okay. this original year, but mm. they come from Gilbert Baker. Yeah. The pink stripe was dropped because they couldn't source the dye and the turquoise stripe was dropped because they wanted to keep the number of stripes even for, like, displaying purposes, uh, mm-hmm. giving us the six-stripe flag that we know today. Two 
create these first flags, Gilbert gathered a group of volunteers together in the attic of the Gay Community Centre in San Francisco. He decided that the flags needed to have a birthplace and a connection to the community, so he decided not to make it in his home and instead to make it at this community centre. Oh, that's really cool. I hope that community centre still exists. Yeah, it does not. There's a parking garage there now. Cool. Um, they paved. But no. <laughs> <laughs> I like that he was, like we discussed before, how significant he thought his actions were, but obviously he was kind of thinking about how history would view what he was doing to some degree. I mean, he's an artist. Artists are like extra. Like <laughs> That's true. Artists think about this stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, it does just seem like he's very aware of creating a community symbol. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he is does seem aware of the weight of that, I guess. I guess it is also the case that, and, like, this is something you hear a lot about the sort of late 60s and early 70s, is that people very much felt like they were living in a very important mm, historical time. That's true. And they were doing new things that were yeah. going to be big. And some of those things were LSD. <laughs> true. Many of those things. <laughs> One of the volunteers that he asked to help him was a woman who now goes by Lynn Sagerblom, but then went by Fairy Argyle Rainbow. She was a hippie and, as Gilbert described her, a queen of tie-dye and she helped Gilbert work out an organic dye process. Along with Gilbert and Lynn was a group of about 30 volunteers. And that fairly large group of volunteers, I guess, gives you an idea of the magnitude of the work and how many like pairs of hands are required to move all of this enormously heavy material around. So they got their eight massive stripes of fabric and they dyed them in these massive trash cans. And then once the fabric was dyed, they had to rinse the dye out of the material. So they decided that they were going to go to a local laundromat. Um, there were explicitly signs up for bidding washing dye out of clothes in the laundromat, which I guess shows you what the 60s and 70s were like. I was about like. to say, I love that this was something like they needed to specifically yes. mention. Stop tie-dyeing your clothes in the laundromat. <laughs> So they waited until late at night and then threw all of the fabric into the machines, thereby dyeing all of the machines rainbow. Okay. <laughs> How is there not a musical where there is a scene of this happening? Like, isn't that just the most, like, musical film moment you can possibly imagine? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought you were going to say, isn't that the most? And I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah. It's interesting to me here that it seemed easier for them, I guess, to hand dye this whole thing than buy a bunch of different fabric colours. Yeah, I don't know. I think it might have something to do with how they wanted it to be a very, like, organic process and how they wanted to, like, source particular dyes and things like that. Yeah, maybe. Um, Given that Lynn helps them figure out, like this organic dyeing process and yeah. stuff yeah um, yeah i guess maybe there was something in it for them making this symbol from scratch yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it sounds like a very fun evening also yeah. then i guess like you don't have to source six different colored fabrics that are all the same fabric yeah eight it's eight yeah it's eight oh, this time too I, yeah 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 <laughs> Yeah, and you can get the exact colours you want, yeah. You'll allow it. (laughs) (laughs) I suppose, Gilbert. Seems logistically plausible. (laughs) They then dragged all of their heavy piles of newly rainbow fabric back to the community centre. I'm just picturing them just, like, leaving trails of rainbow, like, water down the street. (laughs) I'm sure it's not how it was, but that's what Um, They did say that they, like, didn't use gloves or anything, so everyone was just dyed rainbow by the end of it. (laughs) This Um, is so good. It is quite good. I hope somebody took photos. They then ironed out the fabric and sewn it all together, and it was two giant flags. How big were these flags? 30 by 60 feet. That's quite big. That's that's, that's, uh, very that's a big. lot. That's like five of me by like 10 of me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for converting that. 
Um, can you lie down on the floor so I can please speak? <laughs> Alright, thank you. So, like... Yeah, that's huge. That's, that's enormous. So Alright, you can come back now. Yeah, you know what? Um... That was genuinely a very helpful. Thank you. <laughs> These first flags were unveiled for the Pride Parade on June 25th, 1978. Gilbert says of this event... We stood there and watched and saw the flags and their faces lit up. It needed no explanation. People knew immediately that it was our flag. So I guess it successfully fulfilled what you want a flag to do. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Gilbert's friend Charles Beale said that he, quote, purposely never copyrighted the flag because he wanted it to be owned by everyone. Hmm. Good. Gilbert himself in interviews has also spoken about the decision not to copyright it, expressing the same idea that, you know, it's something that needs to belong to the community, but also expressing some ambivalence about the topic, saying that, quote, at the same time, I certainly have an expertise and a history about marketing. It didn't just happen. I made it happen. So I'd like to be able to bring this to bear. I kind of understand that, like, it would be nice for him, I guess, if there was a way for him to be recognised for his work without limiting the usage of the flag. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they did mention him, I believe, in the description of the rainbow flag in the MoMA exhibition when I went and saw that Mm. at the uh, NGV. I mean, I don't think the issue is that, like, he isn't recognised. Like, this is a primary thing for which he's known. And other people who are involved in it, like um, Lynn Sagerblum, who I mentioned earlier, have kind of said it's frustrating that, like, her role isn't recognised at all Mm. and that Gilbert Baker's the only person who gets talked Mm. about in connection with this flag. I don't know, I guess I just wanted to mention it because I think that we, like, quite idealistically when it comes to things like this you know that there is that kind of idea that it is the right thing for someone to like not want to reap any kind of profits off this sort of thing and idealistically that does work but like unfortunately people need to survive i mean and i think it's reasonable for them to want to be supported like it's, it's kind of okay in gilbert baker's case because he has like a very successful career as a designer and an artist and so forth and it's not like he ends up poor and like starving and can't support himself whereas Mm. um like the flag goes on and is you know makes billions of dollars every year or whatever (laughs) um but it certainly is the case with other elders of our community who have put so much labor and so much into this community that you know they end up unable to support themselves in Mm. life later on and Mm. i guess i just wanted to mention it for that reason Yeah. yeah and i mean i feel like there's a thing there where the problem is Capitalism. Yeah, that's exactly what I was about to say. Yeah, the problem is capitalism. It's society that's the problem. It's not. Yeah. It's not about whether you decided to copyright the flag or not. That's yeah. just like trying to fit in with the flawed system. It wouldn't be better if someone had copyrighted the flag and then was able to support themselves. It would be yeah. better for them and worse in other ways. And overall, it's a societal problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The problem's capitalism, guys. In case you had any questions about where Queer's back stands. <laughs> anyway, Gilbert continued working on the flag after this parade, deciding that he wanted to get it mass-produced. He walked into a small flag company in San Francisco wearing platform shoes and pink hair and said, I have a flag for you. <laughs> um, it took a little bit of convincing, but eventually... The flag was mass-produced, obviously. We've all seen one. And Gilbert spent 10 years working in the flag industry. Cool. Oh. Yeah. I also, speaking of things that would look great in, like, a musical or a movie, the part where he chose his outfit to go into the flag shop. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Gilbert continued to be associated, as I mentioned, with the flag for the rest of his life. He described himself as the gay Betsy Ross, 
in reference to the woman who is said to have sown the first American flag. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, come on. We've all, we've all listened to Hamilton. We've all listened to Hamilton. And he would create various flags for parades and anniversaries thereafter. He also worked in art and design for the rest of his life and would do speaking engagements. He spent a long time trying to write a book about the flag, but he found it difficult to finish any draft because the story was never finished. Aww. Gilbert Baker passed away on the 31st of March 2017, but his book has been finished and it was released on June 4th of this year. Oh, Cool. So I wasn't able to read the book before we recorded this episode, but it does exist in the world now. Uh, I will be trying to get my hands on a copy of it, and you should too. Let us know if it's good. The rainbow flag has, of course, become the predominant symbol of our community around the world. In 1994, a mile-long rainbow flag was created to commemorate the 25th anniversary of the Stonewall riots, and another mile-long one was made in 2003. Why don't they sew them together? Uh, they actually cut them up after that and sent them to various pride events oh, all around nice. the world. Oh, that's nice. I was yeah. going to ask what happened to them because, like, it's not something that you can ever display, really. No, like, there's no point really. putting that in the museum. Yeah, like, it's only real opportunity to be displayed is in, like, marching through the streets. Yeah. Nice. yeah. As we alluded to earlier in 2015, the Museum of Modern Art acquired the flag as part of its design collection, which is a collection of universal symbols, including the at symbol. Mm-hmm. You know, the email one. <laughs> 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 and the recycling symbol. Oh, okay. um, the rainbow flag has been flown as a symbol of pride and solidarity and community on every continent, including Antarctica. <laughs> oh, I think I've seen pictures of this. Actually. Shout out yeah. to the gay penguins. I Shout have, out to the gay penguins. I have earlier today <laughs> yes. seen these pictures because Eli showed them to me. I actually did research and... Um, I, I don't know if all, but at least many of the penguin uh, species that live in Antarctica are commonly gay. <laughs> yeah, no, this is true. This there is was true. that whole Parks and Rec episode that we watched. That's true. Okay. There was. There's also those two penguins um, that inspired the children's book in Tango Makes Three, where they like adopted an egg and tried to hatch it, mm. but they couldn't, and then they gave them a little baby penguin. Actually, yeah, I think that no. baby penguin turned out to be like also like she's yeah. a female penguin. I think she turned out to be a lesbian penguin. She did. Yeah. I think that's the case. I, my girlfriend met someone who's a penguin handler at the aquarium <laughs> the other day, and you know Claire loves penguins. I, I did not know that. You do, they're her favourite Oh bird. my god. She loves them a lot. Does I she know they're gay? Yeah, she discovered. Oh, good, she good, saw good. a lot of pictures of gay penguins. Oh, excellent, good. When she okay. met this person. She was very excited. Good. Wow, we had so many gay penguin bags to <laughs> <laughs> Good work, team. Maybe the penguins should... of Antarctica flying the rainbow flag. Maybe he should have just used a penguin for the symbol. <laughs> That's a terrible. Penguin. This is why they ask Gilbert Baker and not Chris <laughs> Fans. <laughs> It's almost like we are not designers. I designed our merch. I, that's a lie. Yeah, that's a lie. Somebody I, else made our logo and I just made it the right size. Yeah, and yeah. Lauren designed our merch. Yeah, thanks, Lauren. Thanks, Lauren. We love you. <laughs> Every possible product that you can possibly think of can be found with a rainbow flag on it. We've all got that one friend who just has, you know, every yeah. possible... I guess ours is Sam predominantly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Although in some cases she just made those herself. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Hers that's aren't necessarily, yeah. Yeah. Every possible item you can think of has been created, whether by corporation or individual, with the rainbow flag on it. Including a queer as fact throw cushion. It's true. <laughs> Public buildings from the Sydney Opera House to the White House have been lit up in rainbow in celebration of uh, marriage equality. Scores of art pieces have been created uh, incorporating the rainbow pride flag or the rainbow as a pride symbol. Yeah, there's been a lot of street crossings, like at yeah. least in... Oh, yeah. I know there's one in Melbourne and one in Sydney as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That are now permanent installations of 
rainbow rainbow flags, which is really cool. It is really cool. Makes me feel all warm and fuzzy whenever I go to Fitzroy. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, on that note, the rainbow flag, as I'm trying to make the point here, is just absolutely everywhere these days, at least in a like peak gay city like Melbourne. And as much as it's cool to see the sales of the Sydney Opera House in Rainbow, I personally get the most meaning from the thousands of little insignificant displays of the flag that we can see around the city. So seeing it in cafe windows and on the spines of books in our local library and just sort of glimpsing it out a tram window being flown over someone's apartment and things like that. I like when you go past someone's like balcony and it's like you hung up pride flag out there just so we would all look up and go oh yes that apartment is gay yeah Mm. but i think that that does really fulfill what harvey milk and what gilbert baker wanted was a symbol that we could just all in an uncomplicated way feel like is ours and remind us that you know we have a part of a community that exists all around the world and has existed all throughout time and that we're all in it together and we all love each other and that june is gay <laughs> it's true. It was the month I was born. <laughs> See, it made Jason. <laughs> so yeah, I looked at a lot of pictures of rainbow flags in researching this episode and in doing things for June in general, and it made me feel very warm and fuzzy. And I love Gilbert Baker. I love all of you here recording with me today, and Thank I love you. all of our queer listeners. True. Mm, yeah, we're part of an amazing community, and I hope that you're celebrating that in some way this June, whether it's going to massive pride parades or just sort of taking a quiet moment to Feel listen gay. to a queer history podcast <laughs> <laughs> or to just notice a rainbow somewhere where you haven't noticed it before in your city and feel that warm fuzzy feeling inside Aww. with that we've been queer as fact my name is eli i'm jason i'm alice i'm irene this has been our second of four episodes that we'll be bringing out this month for Pride Month. You can listen to this and the rest of our episodes on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you do listen to it, we would love if you left us a review or a rating out of five stars, or I guess both ideally, because it really helps us to find a wider audience. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can contact us directly at queerisfactedgmail.com or on any of our social media accounts. We're on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook as Queer as Fact. We'll be back on the 15th of June when we'll be talking about the history of the Sydney gay and lesbian Mardi Gras. We also nearly have a Patreon and a Redbubble, so you can give us money in exchange for goods and services on those sites. We're Queer as Fact on both of those as well. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you then.